If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What are you doing right now? Are you slumped on your couch, mindlessly flipping through the TV channels? Are you tiredly scrolling through your Facebook feed for the 50th time today? Well, shut that stuff down and get off your lazy bum because we're going on an adventure. What? It's one in the morning, yes, I'm quite aware, but these types of adventures can only happen so late at night. You see, this is the time when all the creatures that dare not be seen during the day can come out to play with you. This is the time when the thick velvet darkness of night will gladly wrap its fingers around you protectively, or the thing that followed behind you. Everything that hides from light can safely crawl out from their hiding spots so that they can find you, feed on your fear. This is the only time when you can see them up close. Is it safe, you ask? Just listen to my directions and you'll be fine. Listen to my words and you can make a friend for life and live to tell the tale. All right, got your shoes on and jacket zipped up tight? Good. It's time to head out. You won't have to walk for very long on this adventure. Why? Because the thing we're going to visit doesn't live very far from you. You've probably walked past its hideout many times during the day without noticing. But don't worry. You're not the only one. It lives on an anonymity. You haven't seen it. But it has seen you hundreds of times. It knows your face by heart, from the deep color of your eyes to that freckle you have on your cheek. But don't worry. It's this creature's knowledge of you that will keep you alive long enough for you to get away, that is. Why? You sure ask a lot of questions. But I'll tell you. 
This thing has lived alone for so long, crawling around in the suffocating dark, musty rooms underground. It moans and groans as it moves, those long, sharp nails screeching as they have dragged across the cracked concrete floors. Its wrinkled claws have been covered in blood so many times that the skin on its hands is no longer white, but a dark, dark red. So red it looks black. It has no one, but that is for the best since its desire for company is sometimes overruled by its thirst for blood. Your blood, really. Human blood. Oh, look, you've made it. Surprised. I can see the recognition on your face. Yes, this is the building just a few streets down from your home. The one that's always in state of renovation. But is it really? Have you ever seen anyone go in, or better yet, even come out? Ah, now you're starting to remember. Whenever you walked by this building, did a feeling of unease start to creep over you? The sense that someone or something was watching you. You probably sped up a little on your walk back home, ignoring the hairs that stood up on the back of your neck, or the small goosebumps that ran across your flesh as you convinced yourself that you were just in a hurry to get back to your couch and relax. That's what I thought. Well, there's no turning back now. Slowly walk up to the front entrance. No, the door won't be locked. And don't ask why. Open the door and step into the lobby. Yes, I know it's dark, but you're going to have to deal with it. Like I said, nothing that lives in the dark will like any kind of light. You should be able to see a large empty desk right in front of you. See it? Good. Now walk up to the desk and reach over the divider with your left arm. No, don't try and peek over the divider. They won't like it. Just reach and feel around. Your hand may brush up against some objects that feel questionable. Ignore them. There are many things on that desk. But what you're searching for is a key. Did you feel it? The tiny, cold object with rigid edges? Perfect. Grab it. Wait! Don't pull your hand back yet. There's still one more thing to grab if you want to walk out of this mostly intact. There should be something else that feels like a small glass bottle. Don't ask what's inside, just get it. Good. Now you can pull your hand back. Make sure to put both the key and the bottle in the safety of your pocket before you move on. Now, there's a specific door that you're going to have to find in order to continue your adventure. Blink for a second and it's easy to miss, but don't worry. That's why I'm here. Walk down the corridor adjacent to the lobby. It should be lined with various doors, but don't try and open any of them. They're all locked for a reason. What you can do, however, is count how many doors there are. 
Make sure to count in your head. One, two, three. Shh. Walk quieter. Your footsteps are echoing off the marble floors too loudly. You can't let it know that you're here yet. Four, five, six. Okay. It looks like you've reached the end of the corridor. Now, how many doors did you count on your way here? Six, you say. Wrong. Look again. No, don't turn around completely. Don't even turn your head. Just look from the corner of your eye. There, you see it. That little black door hiding behind you. That's the one. What's that? You feel unsure about this? Well, there's no point in turning back now. In fact, you can't. You see, there's only one way out of this building, and it's through that little door. No, you can't walk back through the corridor because whatever is hiding behind those locked doors will only let you walk past them once, not twice. If you try to. Let's just say that those doors can't hold them back. Are we on the same page now? Good. Now slowly turn the handle on the door 180 degrees exactly. No more, no less. Anything else will alert it of your presence. Slowly, almost there, and perfect. You nearly let the handle slip, didn't you? Wipe those sweaty palms on your pants before you get yourself killed on accident. Goodness. Okay. Now pull the door carefully and ease yourself through the opening. A musty odor will wash over you, so try to take shallow breaths if it gets too overwhelming. What's that smell? I'm honestly not sure. I can only guess, but I think it's best if you don't hear about it. Whoa! Be careful. There's a steep flight of steps in front of you that leads down into a set of underground rooms. Yes, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to shut the door behind you and cut off any remaining light. The passageway is filled with the thickest darkness you are ever going to experience, but this only lasts for a bit. Don't worry. There's nothing here in this part that will try and harm you. I. Enough of that. Your only choice is to move forward, so don't second guess yourself. Make sure to place your hand on the wall and feel your way as you walk down the steps. Some of them are slippery, so be sure to keep your balance. Slippery with what you say? I'd like to say puddles of water, but I think we both know that's not water. As you walk, make sure to count the number of steps you take. It will come in handy later on. It is quite eerie to hear the soft sound of your sneakers scraping against the stone steps. Yet not being able to see anything, isn't it? Right now, your senses are working at their highest capacity, making up for your loss of sight. You can hear every raspy breath that shudders through your throat. You can. Feel every dip and crack in the cool brick that makes up the wall, currently beneath your fingers. 
You can literally taste the air. It has a metallic tang mixed with the stench of rotting trash that makes you want to desperately gag. What are you on? 57? Good. Keep counting. Don't lose track of those steps. Oh, what was that? You feel something's breathing on your neck. Warm, moist air brushing across your back. <laughs> That's because there is. No, don't react. Don't stop walking. Yes, I did say that nothing would harm you. I didn't say that there was nothing that couldn't harm you. Just keep counting your steps. It will keep you sane. This thing will try to trip you up to distract you from your task at hand. But don't pay attention to it. Pay attention to the numbers. Yes, it will keep edging closer and closer to you until you... No, what are you doing? Don't reach back. Don't touch it. Don't... You felt it, didn't you? You felt the slimy texture of decaying flesh on your fingertips. You felt the greasy strands of unkempt hair falling across your knuckles. The mistake has been made. There's nothing you can do except to keep moving on and to not react. Act like that touch was an accident and that you thought it was part of the wall. Because if you react, if you flinch in disgust or scream in horror, it will know. It will know that you know about it and it doesn't want anyone to know about it. You're not a very good listener, are you? In any case... Finally, you've reached the end of the steps. Have you kept track of your number? Yes? Good. Yes, it's still there. I know you can sense it, but you've got to ignore it. Keep that number in your head and don't forget it. It's trying to make you forget by making you scared. Don't let it succeed. Now that you're at the bottom of the steps, I need you to take ten strides forward to another door. Here's the hard part. The thing that was following behind you on the way down, well, it's now standing in front of you, right next to the door. In order to get out of this passageway, you're going to have to act like you can see. I know it will be difficult, but you've got to trust me. Reach your hand out and feel around for the knob. It shouldn't be too far since you're standing right in front of the door. If you accidentally touch the thing again, just keep moving your hand around and search for the knob. Do not react. Mm, there it is. The cool metal of the doorknob is finally in your grasp. Now take that key you got from the desk earlier and insert it into the keyhole on the knob. Try not to scrape it on the metal too much or it will know that you can't see what you're doing and it will take full advantage of that. Good. You've managed to fit the key into the lock. Now turn the knob fully and pull the door open quickly. Now, there's no trick to turning this doorknob this time. Once the door is open, just get through it and shut it as fast as possible so that thing cannot follow you. Make sure to... Wait, look out! Watch out for the step that drops into the room. You don't want to trip on it and mess with this whole thing up. 
especially not when you're so close to freedom. <sighs> you made it. This is the last room you need to be in to get out of this building. Yes, the temperature has dropped quite drastically, hasn't it? Pull your jacket around you a little tighter and suck it up because you're almost there. It's still very dark, I know. But there should be a faint light coming from the corner of the room atop a small box. Can you see it? Yes, it's the glow of a dying candle. Why is there a candle down here? Well, to put it simply and honestly, it's bait. Bait for you. You see, this thing I told you about earlier has studied you for long enough to know that most humans are attracted to light. It sees how you stay out of the shadows at night and stick to the bright shine of the street lamps. Even its underdeveloped and uncivilized mind can put two and two together. After all, it's got the mind of a hunter, and hunters know how to get their prey. And right now, it's watching you in this very room. You can't see it or hear it because it knows how to hide. It's perfected the art of hiding, even that sixth sense that most people have that alerts them if something is watching them won't work with this thing. Carefully walk over to the light. Don't make any sudden movements. Pardon? Well, yes. I know I said it's fate, but do it anyways. Once you've reached the candle, sit down next to it and stare at it. Don't try and look at anything else because you won't see anything. The darkness is too thick to reveal anything. I know you've probably scared at this point. You can feel your heart beating rapidly, desperately trying to burst out of your chest with anxiety. Adrenaline is coursing through your veins at 100 miles an hour, warming your muscles up and keeping your mind sharp. Your brain is ready to make the split-second decision of flight or fight. But no, don't pay attention to any of that. Just pay attention to one thing. Remember that number from earlier? Good. Now take that bottle out of your pocket. Yes, the one you got from the desk. Slowly unscrew the cap and place it on the floor next to you. Dip your finger into the liquid in the bottle and write that number on the box in the candlelight. Yes, I know it's warm and sticky, but that should be the least of your worries right now. What is the liquid, you ask? I think we both know the answer to that. See, whatever happens now is going to decide your fate. If you write the correct number, the thing will let you go without interruption, and you will have earned a friend for life. Albeit a friend who will still watch you from the shadows, yet it will never let any other monsters harm you as long as you keep it company from time to time. But write down the wrong number and, well, let's just hope you get it right because if it's not, there's nothing I can do to help you. Okay, have you written your number? Good. Close the bottle, set it down next to the box and wait. That's right, you have to wait. It's currently crawling around the room to take a look at that number. In fact, it's actually right next to you at the moment. Studying the figure you jotted down. Quite disturbing, no? Even with the candlelight, you won't be able to see it and you definitely can't hear it. But maybe 
Maybe if you try hard enough, you'll be able to smell it. Go on, take a whiff. There, could you smell it? You could smell it, couldn't you? The faint stench of rotting meat and death. Try even harder, and you'll be able to feel it. Because you see, right now, it's running the edge of its razor-sharp nails right next to the skin of your throat. Oh. You thought those goosebumps on your neck were from the cold temperature of the room? No. It is because your body somehow knows that this thing is sitting next to you, that it is reaching out for you with its claws, and look, I believe it's made its decision, and oh, oh, I'm so sorry. That's not the right number. Yes, you heard me right. You wrote down the wrong number. It was one off. How? you ask. Oh dear. I forgot to tell you to count the step that you almost tripped on, didn't I? The last step. <laughs> My apologies. You really did seem like a very nice person. But unfortunately, I can't afford to lose this thing's friendship. After all, who else will protect me from the monsters? This story was written by Teddy Silva. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The realtor still wouldn't look me in the face as he held the keys out to me. I couldn't blame him. Most people were put off by the line etched across my face. Suppose most think I'm some kind of zealot or some such. I didn't give a shit what most people thought. The tattoos would serve their purpose. I shifted the duffel bag higher onto my shoulder and accepted the keys. So, Mr. Stokes, began the realtor, everything is in order. The place is all yours now. Real steel at the price you got it. You know, I was going through the paperwork and realized a family named Stokes used to own the place almost 20 years ago now. I know, I replied, relatives. I also knew I got such a great deal. I'm sure he did too. But damned if he was going to mention it. Couldn't risk blowing the sale. There were no worries there. I was going to be the last person this place ever owned. My hand tightened around the keys. I could feel the house like cold fingers wrapping around my spine. I knew they were watching. That was okay. That was all they could do since it was early morning. 
I know they only come out at night. Well, I guess I'll get out of your hair. Let you get settled in, said the realtor. Thank you, Mr. Boone, I replied. Guess the movers will be here soon, he said. Out with the old, in with the new, eh? I suppose, I said. I wasn't moving anything in, or out for that matter. The previous tenants left everything behind. Of course, where they moved to, you can't really carry it with you. Boone shook my hand, his eyes drawn to the Latin script scrawled across the back and knuckles. I knew he wanted to ask what it meant. He didn't. He just smiled a half-hearted smile, thought of me as just another freak whose money is spent, as well as anyone else's did, and turned to walk out the door. Goodbye, Mr. Stokes, he said. Hope you enjoy the place. Goodbye, Mr. Boone, I replied. I'm sure I won't, I added silently. The door clicked shut behind him. I twisted the deadbolt home and pulled against the door to be certain. I slung the bag down from my shoulder, unzipped it, reached inside, and pulled out the nail gun. I started at the bottom and drove the long nail after nail through the door and into the frame. I stood in the living room, nail gun in my hand, ready to start on the windows. I froze as my eyes found the staircase. My mind flashed back all those years ago back to Maine. I could still see the blood and the strange angles her broken body made as it tumbled from the second floor down. I could still see her eyes staring open, her last act mouthing the word, RUN. It was the last thing my sister ever said. I shook myself out of the pass and walked to the windows. I had much to do before sundown. I felt eyes on my back as I moved. The fireplace mantle was dotted with small porcelain people. Little milk-white angelic boys and girls, whose heads shouldn't be able to move, but turned to watch me nonetheless. I smiled and raised my middle finger. I made my way through the house, upstairs and down, securing windows and doors, anyway in or out. Memories haunted me again in the master bedroom. The bed rested in the same spot as my parents' bed had. I could see it in my mind's eye. The bed soaked with blood, my mother lying in its center, with her chest laid open, her heart resting on the floor at the foot of the bed, a horrible rat-like thing picking at it, like it was the last scrap of chicken on a bone. The rat thing looked at me, a snarl curling its lips. No, not a snarl, a smile. Went some? it asked. I remember running for the stairs as my sister screamed. I looked over my shoulder as I reached the bottom step. Marie had followed moments behind me. As she set foot on the top step, the thing that would end her life seemed to peel itself from the wall behind her. It was tall and thin, like a skeleton covered in nothing but sagging, clammy skin. The thing had no face, just droopy, wet folds of flesh. Marie screamed again as it wrapped its arms around her, its long, thin fingers cutting into the flesh of her arms. It squeezed, and I heard my sister's bones snap. 
Blood bubbled from her mouth as it let go, and her shattered body fell. I did as she asked me and ran for the door. My feet slid from under me as I skidded to a halt, my heart hammering in my throat. A woman stood blocking the front door. She was nude and beautiful, one hand caressing a full, firm breast. Recognition blasted through my pubescent mind. I knew this woman, this image. It was seared into my 13-year-old brain from a late-night cable channel movie. My parents would have flipped out about if they'd known I'd watched. My confusion turned into a scream as the skin of the beautiful face split down the middle in a gory red line. The bone of the skull cracked in a zigzag line and opened, the jagged shards like teeth in a gaping mouth. I scrambled to my feet and ran. My father died in the kitchen. He was blamed for it all, a murder slash suicide. My father did not kill himself. I saw it all as I stumbled my way into the kitchen. My father was propped in a kitchen chair, his face a red battered mess. A man stood before my father, his back to me, a shotgun in his hand. The man turned and smiled, showing a haphazard row of crooked teeth. My father's eyes looked out from the gaping gore-rimmed holes in the man's face. The man reached toward my father's slack-broken jaw. He fished out a cracked tooth, opened wide, and jammed it into its wet, rotted gum. Then he put the shotgun to my father's head and pulled the trigger. I don't remember getting to my feet, or making it to the kitchen door, or running the two miles to the nearest neighbor. I don't remember what I told them, or what I told the cops after they were called. I don't remember crying and racking sobs or kissing myself, but they said I did both. I don't know why I don't remember. Maybe shock had finally set in. I learned later that we weren't the first, or the last. Almost everyone who ever lived in that house died violently. There were a few exceptions, like myself. I researched back as far as I could, but I never found the root, the cause of all the death. I don't know. Maybe some places are just evil. After what seemed like hours, I tossed the nail gun back into the duffel and sat down beside it. I was trapped, just the way I wanted it. I pulled a bottle of water from the bag and downed half of it in a gulp. I replaced it and took out a container of salt. I poured the salt in a six-foot circle, taking care to make sure the line is steady and unbroken. I removed all my clothes and sat cross-legged in the center, with my eyes closed, I needed to be calm, centered. I rested and waited for the night. I lost myself to sleep for how long, I don't know. The noises awakened me. They were all there, all the demons from my nightmares, just outside the salt. The man from the kitchen is blind once more. My father's lifeless eyes long since rotted away. He still smiles, my father's smile, though. The woman of my wet dreams licks her lips seductively, her finger pinching rosy nipples. Loose skin flops wetly as the thing that killed Marie claws at the air, unable to cross the salt line. The rat thing twitters and clutches the nude woman's leg, a long pointed tongue flicking at her thigh. And there are others that I have never seen, shadows with red eyes that breathe and writhe, 
hairless abstings with pus-filled sores, a ghostly pale woman with dark red neck and wrist slashes, whispering things that seemed to be all teeth. They hiss and spit at the salt and at the symbols linked beneath my skin. I researched much more than the history of this place over the years. I stand and breathe deep, the cold prickling my bare skin. I wonder if they know what the symbols, the writing, really means. Time to find out. I reach my foot out and break the salt line. The demons rush me, crashing into me like a high tide, and I smile. They didn't understand. I feel their joy, then their confusion as they touch me. The prayers and incantation linked into my flesh do their work. I feel them wrap and stretch as their bodies and mind become one. I scream as the legion invades me, trapped beneath my skin. My dream woman was last, her nails raking furrows into the wood floor as the spell sucked her in. I fall to my knees, struggling for control. I feel them all inside me screaming to get out, battering themselves against the wards branded into my skin. I crawl to my bag and reach for the small, red gas can within. I will die tonight, and with me this house and its demons. I empty the can over the head, the acrid fumes of the gasoline forcing themselves into my lungs. I pulled my lighter from the bag. I burn. I awaken. The fluorescent lights sear my eyes and pains comes in a rush. I try to move, but bandages swathe my body. The pain worsens. A gray-haired, white-coated man looks down at me. Can you hear me, Mr. Stokes? he asks. My name is Dr. Montgomery. He shines a penlight into my eyes. You were in a fire, Mr. Stokes. I'm sorry to tell you this, but... You have third-degree burns over 95% of your body. You've got a long road ahead of you, Mr. Stokes. A deep, strong voice says, Oh, I'll be all right. My heart freezes. The words come from my mouth, but it is not my voice. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ghost in the Mirror. The man that hired me was pacing around the hallway of his house. He had been bursting with anticipation from the moment he had contacted me. His worried grimace turned into an elated one when he noticed my car lights turning up his driveway. I stepped out of the car, which had been wet by the ongoing drizzling rain, with my younger sister Elizabeth, and walked to the front door at a fast pace, attempting to stay as dry as possible. I looked to Elizabeth, who was following right behind me up the cobblestone pathway, to my client's house. Remember, no talking with the client, I said, trying to assure her compliance. I've gone with you before and know the drill. 
Elizabeth replied. The client had already opened the door for the two, allowing us to enter the house, but the client closed the door again so quickly that it nearly hit Elizabeth as she came in. I felt a strange, unsettling chill go through me as I entered the house. The man, who was bald-headed and appeared to be in his mid-forties, stood in place for a moment, inspecting me from top to bottom. "'So, you are David Lancaster, right?' he asked. "'That I am. I guess you're my client.' The man stared at me again, ignoring Elizabeth completely and nodded. "'I thought you'd be older,' he said. "'Does my age really matter?' I said. "'As long as I can do what you hired me for.' "'I guess not,' the man said as he turned his gaze to the floor. "'Follow me. It's up in the attic.' The client led me and Elizabeth through his house, towards the stairs. His house looked like a bomb had gone off in there. I noticed scorch marks all over the place, and some bits of the ceiling were missing here and there. This and the fact that all the windows had become incredibly dusty over the years made the house quite creepy.' No wonder the man called me over. During our walk to the staircase, I was distracted by a golden-framed mirror that had an eerily mesmerizing effect. Not to say that I looked particularly dashing that day, but something about the mirror just made you look into it for a while longer. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. We made our way to the first floor and headed up the makeshift stairs that made a horrid creaking noise with every step we took. The staircase appeared to be a temporary placement as the old staircase seemed to have collapsed. After going halfway down the upstairs hall, the client pointed us to the hatch on the ceiling that obviously led to the attic. It's up there, the man said. He started pulling the handle. The hatch tends to jam, though. Hold on. After a while of pulling the handle, the hatch turned downwards with a loud pop, and the man pulled down the ladder that was stacked upon the upper side of the hatch so it could easily be extended. I looked up into the attic and immediately noticed a small hole in the roof, small enough to block out the rain, but large enough to welcome a dim ray of light into the small space, making its only light source. The man wished me luck. I told him to head back downstairs and stay there, and I climbed up into the attic with Elizabeth. Elizabeth looked at me in fear, as she probably felt the same haunting chill as me. We waited for a while, staring into the darkness in front of us, expecting the chill to pass. When we realized the chill wouldn't pass, but was instead the reason we were there, I grabbed a small electronic device from my chest pocket. I turned it on and pressed the play button, after which a monotonous, slightly annoying tone played through the device. I put the small speaker back into my pocket as it kept emitting that strange, after all this time, still nauseating noise. I looked to Elizabeth as the chill grew colder, and an odd breeze was starting to come up inside the closed space, and she stared back at me with the same fear that was probably hiding in my eyes as well. You just never get used to it. The disturbing 18.98 hertz tone that came from the device, feeling the presence of something unseen, and finally the entities reveal. Both Elizabeth and I were shocked to see what form the entity had taken. 
It was me. We both stared at the entity for a while, while it stared back at both of us. You're seeing this, right? Elizabeth asked. I turned to her and nodded, then quickly turning back to the entity that had revealed itself to our eyes. After a bit of more staring, I decided to break the exponentially awkward silence. Why do you take this shape? I asked the entity, in a seemingly fearless tone of voice, hiding my true angst. Because I have no form of my own. It was taken from me, it said in my voice. But why do you take my shape? What shape did you have before? Elizabeth looked at me with confusion. Your form? It looks like me, she said. I looked at her equally confused, but quickly realized what was going on. I turned back to the entity. So you take the form of the beholder. I see myself. Elizabeth sees herself. And I guess that man must have seen himself as well. The creature's suspicious frown turned into an intimidating smile. You seem to have experience with matters like this. Tell me, what is that excruciatingly annoying noise? It asked. It's an 18.98 hertz infrasonic tone. It attracts the attention of beings that reside in the latent plane of existence, I replied. You mean it lures ghosts, it said, creepily smiling once again. Is that what you are? Elizabeth asked the entity. The entity did not respond to the question, but instead turned his head to Elizabeth, keeping its haunting smile. Tell me, it said as it turned back to me, what is that in your pocket? I saw into my chest pocket and looking at the device that it was still playing its unpleasant noise. The device that is playing the infrasonic tone, I said. The entity's daunting smile turned back into its former suspicious frown. No, the other pocket, it said, starting to sound a bit angry. This response surprised me. How could it have known? However this was possible, I knew that it had to stop it from revealing more secrets. I quickly grabbed the device in my pocket and pressed the play button again, ceasing the tone and making the entity disappear instantly. What the hell was that about? Elizabeth said to me. I told her that we should do some research on the history of the house before we proceeded to speak with the entity. I ignored all her pleas to tell her what the pocket thing was about, telling her that it was best for both of them if she just let it go, because it really was. I asked the owner if he knew anything about the past of the house. He told me he only knew that a fire ravaged the house some thirty years ago. After the fire, the house stood vacant for a few years, until a man decided to buy the house to fix it up and sell it later. The man had suddenly changed his mind about the renovation for reasons unknown, although those reasons seemed very obvious to him at this moment, and decided to resell the house. It took him many years, nearly two decades, to finally some avid new renovator that dared take on the difficult task of repairing the house. Most people weren't up for the challenge of fixing up such a devastated house, Others had visited the lot and were scared off by the daunting supernatural presence. 
Eventually, a man became interested in the house and bought it, namely the current owner, my client. A big mistake, as it turned out. The client gave me the last known contact information of the former owner. I told him I would return as soon as possible, and I drove to the address he had given me with Elizabeth. In the car, I caught Elizabeth trying to stare at me subtly every once in a while. After several times, I noticed she was, in fact, staring at my right chest pocket, the pocket the entity was referring to. I kept to my opinion. It would be better for both of us if she didn't know what was in it. I had no idea how she would react to it if she were to discover it. It had been me and her for more than six years now. When I was 16 years old and Elizabeth was 14, our house burnt down. My parents didn't survive the fire, so this case hit a bit close to home. From then on, it was me and her. I had told her to stay home and keep away from people. It's safe to say that I became a little overprotective, but I couldn't lose her, not her too. I assured her that I would provide an income for both of us and that she didn't even need to come out of the house, ever. At the address, I indeed met the former owner of the house, who lamented that he thought he had heard the last of the house when he finally sold it. He told us the details of the fire. He knew all about it since he was a cop back then, and was assigned to the case. He told me that thirty years ago an ordinary family lived in the house until one fateful night a fire broke out, probably because of a short circuit. The parents were locked inside their bedroom because burning rubble blocked their door. The coroner determined that they had suffocated to death because of the smoke before their bodies were burnt by the fire. The son was the only survivor of the fire, and the daughter was burnt alive in the living room. I asked him if he knew where the son hung out these days. His answer came as the biggest surprise in my entire life. I can't even find the right words to describe how shocked I was. I had already met him. The son bought the house. He was the new owner. He was my client. I thanked the former owner for what he had told me and quickly started driving back to the house. The entity, presumably a ghost, must have been one of his deceased relatives. So if he had come into contact with it, then he must have realized this. Was he scared of the ghost? Was he working together with the ghost? Was he luring people to the house on the ghost's request for some reason? Whether it was an elaborate ruse or an unlikely coincidence, I had to get to the bottom of this. One thing he knew for sure about ghosts was that they were bound to something or someone. Maybe they followed around the sun, or maybe they stuck to an object in the house. The biggest question that remained for me was what the ghost, in fact, wanted. And why did it choose to take the form of whomever to look at it? It was a ghost, a faded remnant of a person that once was, that once had a body, an image of its very own. I wondered what the ghost had meant when it had said that its form was taken from it, but then I thought about it. The bodies of the parents and the daughter were burnt beyond recognition. Their forms were taken from them. I figured that seeing as the ghost appeared on its own, and the daughter was alive when she burnt, it must have been her. Either way, I would discover the truth quite soon. 
Elizabeth and I arrived back at the house, and I parked the car behind the tall hedge in front of it, so my client wouldn't know that I had returned. Who knows what he would do? Who knows what kind of foul plans he and his sister had planned for them? I stopped the motor and stared out over the countryside in front of us. It was still raining like it had all day, and the moon had replaced the sun in the sky. Elizabeth waited in anticipation for what I had to say, but soon figured quite correctly, too, that I had no idea what I could say. "'What are we going to do?' she said to me. I kept silent for a second and stared at the car's glove compartment. "'We do the same thing we always do, Liz. We find whatever what the ghost is bound to, and we destroy it,' I said resolutely. Elizabeth looked at me with obvious traces of despair. She realized it was different this time. "'What if it's him?' the brother. What if she, it's bound to him? I looked straight into her eyes and knew exactly what she was thinking. What if it had been the two of us? She knew what I would do anything for her to save her and vice versa. My response to the whole situation was perhaps hypocritical, but the right thing to do from an unbiased perspective. I asked Elizabeth to open the glove compartment and hand me the black fake leather box inside. I heard her gasp as I opened the box. I took out the Smith & Wesson revolver that once belonged to my father and opened the cylinder to show Elizabeth the five silver bullets inside. She had started to freak out, as I should have expected. "'Why do you have this, David? What are you going to do with it?' she asked with a growing sense of panic in her voice. "'If he doesn't want to break the binding, or if he tries anything, I'm going to use this, Liz. I can't let anything happened to either of us. It's you and me, remember? <laughs> you, you just can't do this, David. What if it were us in there? Then someone else should pick up the gun and do the same thing. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The greater good. What if they're up to nothing? What if she just doesn't know how to move on, and the brother doesn't know it's his sister? And what if they're up to something, Liz? Have you thought about that? What if they lured us to the house in hopes of sacrificing us or something? Elizabeth looked at me not knowing how to counter my arguments, and she knew how I looked at things compared to her, meaning she knew there was nothing she could say to change my mind. Besides, if the ghost tries anything, these bullets will stun her, or him, or it, or whatever, leaving me with a chance to act accordingly, however that may be, I continued. What do you mean, me? I mean, you're staying with the car. No, David, I can... Not this time, Liz, I shouted, perhaps a bit overly agitated. This isn't a game. There's only one gun. You would only get in the way. You would be a target. Elizabeth sighed and leaned back into her seat. You don't need to... 
You can't keep protecting me from everything, David. Liz, I will protect you as long as I'm able. I failed once, and I won't ever fail again, I exclaimed, perhaps a little too rash. <laughs> what do you mean you failed once? I, I mean, I couldn't save Mom and Dad. I couldn't save... I could have, if I hadn't been such a coward. Don't say that. It's not your fault. The house was a blazing inferno. Yet you managed to save me, didn't you? I'm the one who lost consciousness because of the smoke. You came to save me. You didn't fail me that night. You never have. I felt like I could break out in tears at any moment when she said that. But I couldn't. I couldn't tell her the truth. I had to stay strong for both our sakes. For the greater good. The greater good. I stepped out of the car and hid the revolver inside my coat's inside pocket. I grabbed the car door and looked back inside the car. Please, Elizabeth, just stay inside the car. Promise me you won't get out, whatever happens. She looked at me with a worrisome and slightly agitated expression. She knew things were serious when I called her by her full name. Fine, but don't you dare your get yourself hurt. I smiled at her. I promised her I'd do my best and shut the car door. I walked around the hedge and up to the house, using the moonlit cobblestone path. I used the door knocker to announce my return, and soon enough the owner, dressed in his white sleeping garments, came to open the door. He was obviously confused to see me at his doorstep at this hour. "'What are you doing here this late? Can't it wait until tomorrow?' he said, inviting me into the house using gestures." I'm afraid it can't. I need to talk to her right now, I said as I stepped aside. Her? He asked, apparently genuinely confused. Don't tell me you don't know who that ghost is. <laughs> Do you? I looked into his eyes and realized that his confusion and ignorance was legitimate. He truly didn't know that the house was being haunted by his dead sister, or he was a good actor. You really have no clue, do you? It doesn't really matter. I'll explain it all later. But I really need to speak to the ghost. <laughs> what? The owner said a little angrily. You come to my house at God knows what hour and ask me to talk to the ghost in my attic and then you refuse to tell me what you know? I want answers. I sighed. He was right. But it would complicate things and after all he didn't seem to be planning anything contrary to what I was suspecting. Fine. You can come with me to the attic. You will understand everything, but you may not like what you'll discover. He started to calm down visually and nodded. We walked to the stairs again, past the mirror, right up to the attic. We both stared at the hatch and then at each other in unison. You never actually told me why you did call me. What did you see? And why didn't you tell me you used to live here with your family? I said to him. He told you, didn't he? I just didn't want to be reminded of the past. I was, I was looking for some old photo albums in the attic. I was looking through some family photos of the flashlight when suddenly I heard whispering. I thought it was just the wind, but then I heard it, what it said, it, it, what it said in my own voice. He paused, thinking back to the awful memory. What did it say? I asked impatiently. Suddenly, something creaked loudly in the attic, turning both our attentions to the attic hatch again. We gazed in fear, dreading what was waiting 
for us up there. Help me. I looked at him, wondering what he had just said, looking like I had seen a ghost. Well, figuratively, in this particular case, that's what it said. Help me. I haven't been up there since, he continued. I figured the ghost intended to use the man for whatever it had planned. I turned my attention to the hatch again and wondered why I was so scared of what lay ahead. Nothing violent had ever happened to anyone, but the haunting vibe that everyone felt when they entered the house made it clear that something ill was at play. It felt like some sort of instinctive warning, and it made me nearly sure that the ghost's intentions were evil. Let's do this, I sighed. We pulled down the hatch together, releasing the same loud pop I heard last time. The owner extended the ladder and was ready to go up, but I convinced him that he should let me go first. Once we both stood inside the pitch-dark attic, I took a small flashlight in the infrasonic device from my left chest pocket and turned them both on. I was doubting whether or not I should actually press the device's play button, but then I realized I had little to no choice. I initiated the tone, and soon enough I was pointing my flashlight at what appeared to be myself, but was obviously the ghost. The owner gasped. "'Why does it look like me?' he exclaimed fearsomely. "'It mirrors whomever is looking at it, so you will always see yourself,' I explained. The ghost seemed to only have two facial expressions, the suspicious frown and the daunting smile. It chose to take on the former. "'You're back.' At least tell me you won't suddenly bail this time. I ignored the ghost's slightly mocking remarks and decided to go to the point. Who are you? What do you want? I want a form of my own. What happened to you? You're the daughter, right? The owner looked at his mirror image in amazement. Rebecca, he exclaimed. When the ghost stared back at the owner with a hint of both hatred and nostalgia, his suspicions were confirmed, and he started sobbing. I'm so, I'm so sorry, Becca. I was confused as to what he was in fact sorry for, which the ghost picked up. He didn't tell you, did he? It was all his fault. The fire. The man started sobbing louder. He just had to go and smoke a cigarette in his room and then throw it away in the trash can, which was placed beneath his curtains. Then he decided to go for a late-night snack, and we all know what happened afterwards. I looked at the owner. The fire was indeed his fault. Was his sister plotting revenge? But then why did she ask him to help her? Did she want him to help her gain a form of her own in exchange for her forgiveness? And what happened to you? I asked hesitantly. I was already fast asleep when I was awoken by my brother screaming for me and our parents. I left my room and soon enough I witnessed the flames engulfing my home. The stairs had collapsed, so this idiot here couldn't get upstairs to help us. The door to our parents' room was blocked by burning debris. I spent so long trying to save them while my brother stood downstairs unable to do a thing, that the fire was turning into an inferno. 
I turned to saving myself after the roof collapsed and my brother couldn't even see me anymore. I crawled over the handrail and jumped downstairs, spraining my ankle. My only way out was by traversing the fallen debris. I sustained numerous burns and once I had cleared the way, I tried jumping through the flames that blocked the path. Of course my stupid ankle isn't exactly working with me and I fell and and I the, the next thing I knew I was burning alive. The last thing I saw was me burning in that mirror. After processing the story and attempting to comfort my client and failing miserably, I tried to further my business. How exactly do you plan gaining a form of your own? She now took to smiling creepily once again. I take over someone else's body, of course. <laughs> this was exactly the kind of thing I had been waiting for, the reveal of her evil intentions. I decided I wasn't having any of it and took out the revolver. I'm afraid I can't let you do that, I spoke as I pointed the gun at her. <laughs> What are you going to do? Kill me? Come on. I deal with supernatural entities that includes ghosts for a living. Don't you think I know what I'm doing? You're bluffing. Do you really want to take that chance? I said tauntingly. She frowned again, this time with a fear-inducing look that signaled her oncoming angry response. As I expected, she let out a near-deafening scream and stormed towards me. Luckily, I had my fair share of clashes with ghosts, and I shot one of my five silver bullets toward her. Though it went right through her, she soon disappeared into thin air, cutting off her terrible screeching. It sure felt strange to shoot yourself, or at least a mirror image, and not feel any of it. "'What the hell did you just do?' the owner shouted. "'I just shot a ghost that was supposed to possess me. That's what I did.' For your information, I only stunned her. She'll be back. But you need to know. I will make sure she disappears from this world, whatever it takes. That's what I came for, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. I told him angrily. The owner looked surprised because of the reaction, but also sad because he realized he would have to give up his own sister. He nodded in agreement. And I bent over to pick up the flashlight that I had dropped in all the excitement. All of a sudden, I felt a hard push, and before I knew it, I was falling through the hole in the floor. He pushed me. The bastard pushed me. I came to a few seconds after I hit the ground and heard the infrasonic tone still playing. I was lying on my back, facing my outstretched arm that looked like it was trying to grab the revolver that lay next to me. I quickly remembered the situation I was in and grasped the gun tightly before pointing it to my client, who was still standing at the top of the ladder to the attic. I soon realized that he was inviting his sister to possess him in an attempt to achieve redemption in her eyes. I put down the gun and grabbed the infrasonic device, pressing the play button as fast as I could to stop the sound from playing and keeping the ghost from manifesting. But I was too late. The owner turned around and looked down at me from the top of the ladder with the same smile that the ghost had shown me several times now, while I could only stare back at him in fear. I turned to the revolver to pick it up, but was then shocked to see the owner standing next to me with his foot on top of the gun. 
My response was instinctively to run for my life. I stood up as quickly as I could and rushed through the hallway and down the stairs. I was running through the living room when the ghost, now possessing her brother, appeared in front of me. I stopped in place, winced, and felt like my heart could pound out of my body at any moment. I decided to man up. What do you want with me? The ghost exclaimed her brother's laugh. Do you really think I want to keep my brother's horrendous face? No, I'm going to need him. You, on the other hand. She grasped my neck with her firm, strong hand and lifted me from the ground. It'll be easier to possess you when you're dead. Less resistance, you know. Somehow I decided to go for the first question that popped into my mind. How do you even know that? I stuttered. There's chatter on the other side, you know? Hell, imagine how boring these last thirty years would have been if I had actually been on this side all the time. I figured it might be a good idea to stall a bit, so I decided to keep the conversation going. What's it like, the other side? She smiled, seemingly admiring my childish interest in what went on behind the veil. I couldn't accurately describe it to you if I wanted to. Imagine... Imagine a crowded train station. It's like a, a bunch of people waiting for a train that is never going to come. Some of those people are sitting by the side of the track waiting for that train. Some of them are talking to one another. Some return to the other side thinking they have to find peace to get to that train. But others, like me, understand that there is no train. I now know that the only way is back where I came from. It's not because there's a track that there's a train. And if what if you decide to follow the track on foot? While her grip hadn't loosened a bit, my neck really started to hurt. Ah, well, I told you I couldn't accurately describe it to you. The, the track, it's just not an option. I had so many possible follow-up questions that it took some time for me to pick one which caused her to return her focus to the situation at hand. Right, where were we? Her grip tightened momentarily as she flung me behind her with a smooth turn, and I flew past the entrance hall into a wall, slightly breaking it. She dauntingly stepped towards me. She stopped in front of me, grabbed a wrench from the table next to her, and got ready to strike me with it. Hey, at least now you'll understand what it's like. <laughs> she raised the wrench up in the air with a great force, and right as I closed my eyes and raised my hands in front of me to protect myself, a loud bang echoed through the house. I opened my eyes and lowered my hands to see the owner, who now had a newly acquired hole in his chest, drop the wrench to the ground, after which he followed its example. Behind him was revealed to me Elizabeth, holding the revolver which had smoke coming from the barrel. Liz, what are you doing here? I yelled. Are you serious? I just shot the guy who was about to bash your head in, and you're angry that I came as soon as I heard a gunshot? Meanwhile, the owner was moaning, I'm sorry, on repeat until it faded out into complete silence. You don't understand, do you? His sister is going to be back, angrier and more powerful than ever. But your device isn't playing. She can't materialize, right?
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ever hear of a vengeful ghost? The rules don't always apply to them. As fear filled Elizabeth's eyes, I got up as quick as I could, feeling a terrible pain in my back from being thrown into the wall, and took the revolver from her. We need to go now, I shouted, pulling her along the entrance hall. We reached the front door, but it wouldn't open no matter how hard I pulled the handle. It was then that I heard the ghost scream, now so high-pitched that it felt like a flashbang grenade just had gone off. I turned around and saw her, back in her mirroring form, run up to Elizabeth, attempting to possess her. I quickly grabbed the revolver and shot at the ghost as she failed to take control of my sister, which she made apparent by releasing a few more deafening screams. The bullet again went right through her, but had the desired effect. She had returned to the other side again, until she would inevitably return. We need to find what the hell is keeping her here and destroy it, I shouted at Elizabeth, who was only just recovering from what had just happened. I dragged her along while she was trying to figure out a couple of things and went towards the upstairs area. It has to be one of the photo albums in the attic. She was able to speak to her brother when she was looking at some old family photos. As I walked up the creaking staircase, I noticed that Elizabeth was only following physically, but that her mind was elsewhere. But this could all wait. We were running out of time before the ghost returned. I grabbed the flashlight from the floor where I dropped it after I was pushed out of the attic then proceeded to jump down the attic ladder and climbed it as fast as I could follow. I turned on the flashlight and started searching everywhere for the photo albums, while Elizabeth reached the attic as well. She couldn't possess me, she muttered silently. I was still looking for the albums, annoyed by the fact that Elizabeth decided to initiate this conversation now. We don't really have time for this now, I yelled. What if she comes back now and kills us both? Will we have the time then? I momentarily turned around and looked at her angrily. Yes, we will, Elizabeth. We will have all the time in the world. I noted sarcastically and went on to search for the family photos. Soon enough, I noticed a box containing what seemed to be the albums, when I suddenly felt like a shiver go down my spine. Elizabeth's subsequent scream confirmed my suspicions that the ghost had returned. I quickly fumbled around my right chest pocket and grabbed the old Zippo lighter that was inside. I lit up the lighter and returned my gaze forward where, as expected, I set eyes on the ghost. If you take as much as one step in this direction, you can say goodbye to your old family photos, I threatened. So what? They're just photos of an extinct family who's going to miss them, she responded mockingly. You don't understand, do you? You are bound to one of these photo albums. Once it's reduced to ashes, you'll be stuck in that train station of yours forever. <laughs> oh, is that what you think? I thought you'd be able to sense such items. 
like that lighter you're holding as well. But I guess I was wrong. Elizabeth stepped forward and looked at the lighter, immediately recognizing it. She identified it as their father's old lighter, but something didn't feel right. It was like it brought back a memory, but a wrong memory, a memory that doesn't belong. She remembered that fateful night six years ago. She remembered how it all went down, but it was far different than how she thought she remembered it. She remembered how I'd gone out with my friends while Elizabeth and our parents were watching television in our living room. She remembered a weird smell that had been hanging around the apartment all day. But Elizabeth told our parents she was going to prepare dinner that evening as she had promised them. She lent Daddy's lighter, the same lighter I was holding right then, and turned on the gas stove. She lit the flame, heard a noise that resembled a hot air balloon burner, and that was, that was where the memory ended. Then it hit her. As I quickly looked back at her, I saw that she knew. No, she muttered, completely shocked. Oh, she didn't know, did she? Now that makes sense. That's why you made me leave as soon as I mentioned what was inside your pocket. Why you're so very protective of her, the ghost said. No, no, please, David, tell me it's not true. It, it can't be true. I sighed deeply. Of all the moments, of all the places, why did it have to happen now? It was inevitable anyway, wasn't it? Liz, where were you two years ago? I, I was with you, like always, she sobbed desperately. Tell me something that happened that year. I, I can't. I can't come up with anything right now, but that doesn't mind... You don't remember, Liz, because you weren't there two years ago. She started sobbing even harder, but continued to state her disbelief under her breath. Three years ago, I met an old man at a bar. He claimed to hunt supernatural entities. Of course, I laughed in his face, so he took me with him on one of his hunts. You can sure as hell say that I was convinced. From then on, I started hunting as well. I put up several ads for my services, and soon enough I was hunting these entities full-time. Poltergeists, demons, banshees. I've seen them all, and I've vanquished each and every one of them. Well, not all of them. About a year ago, I was assigned to convince the old hunter I met in that bar, who had just passed away, to move on to the other side. But he told me there was a way to resurrect people that had passed away. Pull them to the side, erasing their memory of what happened to them. They would be able to interact with the world, but they could only be seen by the person who brought them back or other ghosts. Shut up! Shut the hell up! You you can't! This isn't... It's not true! She screamed as she broke down. Six years ago, I came home from a night of drinking, completely wasted, to find the fire trucks parked in front of my burnt-down house. A gas leak, they said. There were no survivors. I was sixteen years old. Tears started rolling down my cheeks as well, as I remembered that horrible night. Among the things that didn't burn to the ground was this lighter. Little did I know you unknowingly bound yourself to it. Elizabeth looked up at me, quickly grabbed the revolver from her right hand, and shot a bullet behind me. 
I had already moved out of the way thinking she was about to shoot me and saw that she shot the ghost who was about to attack me. I looked back at the box with the photo albums and the lighter in my hand and decided to burn the box down just to make sure the ghost hadn't been lying to me in an attempt to stop from vanquishing her. Come on, Liz. We need to get out of this house in case she was telling the truth, I said calmly. We rushed downstairs, not saying a word, but were once again stopped by the ghost in the living room. That really hurts, you know? Although I'm grateful for the chance to feel something other than hatred for the first time in 30 years, but four times on in a single night is a little over the top, don't you think, she said. I pointed the gun at her once again. This was starting to get old. If I shoot you again, we'll be out of here before you can return. So how do you like your chances? I said threateningly. She showed no trace of fear and instead disappeared again. I thought I had actually scared her away just like that. But then I felt an agonizing sting in my back and I dropped the revolver on the ground. I looked behind me and found that she had reappeared behind me and I felt her crawling inside of me. It felt like every bone in my body was about to break down into a thousand splinters, as if my blood was boiling and all my muscles decided to convulse simultaneously. But I couldn't move an inch. I stood there, frozen, and whatever impulse I sent through my nervous system seemed to get lost somewhere along the way. Then I felt myself move again. But it wasn't me. It was her. I turned around and faced Elizabeth, who had already been smart to pick up the gun that I had dropped. She was pointing the gun at me, visibly panicking. Are you going to shoot your brother? I spoke reluctantly. I looked at her as a spectator in my own body and realized that she would never do what needed to be done. Of course, she could always shoot me in the arm or leg, but that thought obviously hadn't come up inside her mind yet. And then I realized something. If it wasn't her brother or a photo album, what could she be bound to? And then I remembered how she died, the last thing she saw. I had to tell her somehow, but I couldn't move a muscle, but I had to try. I focused all of my power onto my eyes and hardly succeeded in making them look at the light. Luckily, but exactly like I expected, Elizabeth noticed this out-of-place movement and saw what I had pointed my eyes at, the golden-framed mirror. She smiled, knowing that we'd both be getting out of here. I wouldn't waste a bullet, would I? Elizabeth turned the gun to the mirror and fired the last bullet in the chamber. Next thing I remember, I was looking at the ceiling of the dark living room. I had only now noticed that the light bulbs had burst. I blinked. I made me blink. I lifted my head and saw Elizabeth standing in front of me, holding the gun. Then I saw the shards of glass off the broken mirror that had fallen onto the ground. I was back. The ghost was gone. It was over. Elizabeth told me how, after she had shot the mirror to smithereens, the ghost's soul spilled out of my mouth like droplets of wine, glowing water that floated upwards. As soon as it disappeared to the other side, forever this time around, I collapsed onto the floor and remained unconscious for about ten seconds. I turned on the car motor and the radio and put the revolver back into the box that would soon disappear back into the glove compartment. I turned to Elizabeth, who was staring in front of her. What now? I asked. She turned her head to me with neither a smile nor a frown. We do what we have always done, she said. 
we stick together. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.